We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. If you didn't catch that, don't worry. I am verified. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to tap in with me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. Chris, we finally got to the NFL draft. Man, what a year. It's already freaking May. Yeah, no. Is it? Oh, it is May. <laughs> Dang, I didn't even know. Damn, rent's due today. Damn, damn. Make sure we pay that after the, uh, the show's over. Uh, but yes, we got to the draft. Uh, I'm not going to lie, ladies and gentlemen, I did not watch a lot of the draft. Uh, at least not with the sound on. I watched it on mute. I could not. After last year when they was doing all that trauma porn, making all the guys' tragedies part of their stats. You remember that, Chris, when they was just like, I think they did it. The worst one was like T. Higgins because it was like started this many years at Clemson, had this many years of catches, and it's like mom is on drugs. And it was like, what? that's not a stat. It's like anyway. irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, that was really bad. But we're here. The Seahawks made three picks. If you're listening to the show, you know who the three picks are. But we're gonna read them anyway because that's what I'm supposed to do as the person with the microphone. Uh, the first pick, 56 overall, was receiver Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. 137 overall, they took Trey Brown, a corner, an outside corner to be specific, out of Oklahoma, and with pick 208, this is the sixth round, they took offensive tackle Stone Forsyth out of Florida. Chris, and that was it. It was just, just three. I'm not going to lie. I smiled. I was like, Phew. we ain't got to talk about 11 dudes. Yeah, no, that <laughs> was dudes. a lot. We got yeah. three fellas to talk about. There's plenty of resources. There's film. Let's get it done. Yeah, you know, this is the year, and we'll get into the class too, you know, but this is the one of the, probably because I've been doing this for a while, we've both been doing this for a while now, I, I felt the most prepared coming into this draft just between like Dane Brugler's, uh, shout out to Dane, we'll have him on the show too, yep. his work on the draft guide, I saw that Dane like had the third most accurate mock draft, there's a site that tracks that apparently, oh, wow. okay. yeah, uh, Dane had the third most accurate one, um, his work all the people who cover the Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl coverage is crazy now. Like, I was looking for 2011 Senior Bowl coverage for my story of Richard Sherman that I did a few weeks ago, and I could barely find, like, anything really extensive. You look for Senior Bowl stuff now, you got 
cut-ups of one-on-one reps with offensive tackles and PFF does a great job grading every guy from the senior bowl. Um, there's just so much information out there. And if you process it right and ignore the people who love Mac Jones, then you get you get quality, you know, um, assessments. That, uh, Josh Norris, um, where is Josh working at? Is he NFL.com? Anyway, his I think he had the best mock. I think he had the most accurate mock um, out of everyone. Uh, yeah, Josh Norris of the Underdog Football Show uh, had the most accurate mock. That is crazy that someone could have, like, I think he had the highest mock score ever. I just had a lot of information, felt, felt good. And, Chris, I did get a pick right. Yeah, congratulations. A round of applause has been thrown in there for you. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I went over. Back to uh, regular for me. Uh, nothing. Didn't land a single body. Yeah. And it's I, tough out here. I got it. I got one on like a technicality. So, uh, and I can probably tweet out the screenshot or the, the link again. In February, I did write a story with six options for the 55th overall pick. I don't know what in my head made me write 55. Um, I thought, I don't know why I thought they had the 55th pick. This might be before the picks got announced. So maybe I was just projecting. Um, anyway, I had him at pick 55. One of the six people I wrote was Dwayne Eskridge. So I did get one right. And then technically, I mocked Cade Johnson, the receiver from South Dakota State. I mocked him to the Seahawks, I think, twice. Um, and he did not get drafted. They signed him as an undrafted free agent. At least that's what I've read on Twitter. Uh, and I think he Cade has tweeted it out, too. So there you go. So I got like one and a half. It's I'll good. take that. They That's only good. had three picks, so I mean, thirty percent. I got a third. Exactly, I got a third uh, uh, of the draft class um, correct. And by now, if you listen to this, I did write a recap story about the draft class and what I focused on about it. And this will kind of be our lead into talking about it. I think we need everyone to remember: no one knows how good this class is. No one, not you, Chris, not me, not Dane, not Josh Norris, um, not anyone at PFF. Not even Pete Carroll. We're all just projecting and guessing. Like today on May 1st, 2021, thank you. (laughs) No one knows how good the class is going to be. You just never know, right? There's always something, you know, weird that can happen. It's just misfortunes or whatever. But what we can judge, at least based on the information we have, is the process in getting the picks. And that's kind of what I want. That's my first judgment of anybody's draft class is the trades you made, who was available, what your board looked like, how you addressed your positions of need, you know, relative to like their positional value. For instance, I thought the Jets made a really bad trade. They gave up two third round picks to move up seven slots in the, no, nine slots in the first round to take a guard. I just thought that's a bad use of resources. Like, is that dude from USC really that much better than the guard you could have just taken at 23rd and had, um, your two third round picks, right? So I think it's it's stuff like that that you take into the math. Like, is that Vera Tucker dude from USC going to be a good guard? Probably. But is he good enough to only have him and not have who you could have got a 66 and 86 or 80? Yeah, I think 66 and 86 they gave up. So a pick early in the third and a pick midway to the third. Like, is it worth it? Probably not. Right. So I think that's a bad use of resources relative to their needs because that's a guard. It's just not that valuable of a position to be trading up those type of assets for. Whereas you look at a team like Chicago, they gave up a lot to get Justin Fields, but it's a position of need. It's a premium position, like a little bit of an overpay in that regard is a better use of your resources. Cause you need a quarterback. Chicago's literally never had one. Like 
they tweeted out QB1 with a picture of Andy Dalton in 2021. Jesus Christ. Um, so the process is important. So like you look at the C- Seattle's process. Chris, we talked about the position of needs with, uh, we had with Danny Kelly on, Jordan, Jordan Reed. Reed on, like, and I've written a bunch about it too. I think there was a general consensus in Seahawks world that what the needs were, receiver, this is in no particular order, receiver, corner, and the offensive line, right? Yeah. That's right. And then specifically on the O-line, Everyone wanted a center, which is fine. Um, and then I was in that camp too. And as slowly as the draft creeped on, I was like, "Hmm, they need to be thinking about Dwayne Brown's successor." So I was, I looped tackle in there as well, specifically left tackle. If you could, if you could get one. So Seattle agreed. This might be one of the few times that like Pete was on board. Pete and John was like, "Ah, now nah, you guys are right." Like <laughs> Seahawks Twitter's on to something, you guys. Like, nah. Like John would probably say it just like that. Like, oh God, I don't know. Yeah, Seahawks Twitter. How do the kids say it these days? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one of those rare times. So that was part of the process that I just liked from the jump. It was just look at the class, look at their needs. Oh, you guys was on the like last year. It was ridiculous, right? Look at these needs. I think last year we really felt they needed what was it? It was an edge, right? Because they hadn't signed Clowney, like a linebacker. Off top. They took an off-ball linebacker with 27. I was like, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> I don't remember my initial thought on the Rashad Penny pick, but I do remember there was a loud group led probably by Ben Baldwin at the time. What the hell are you guys doing taking that particular position at that spot relative to your needs? Because remember, that's fresh off not making the playoffs too. They needed some help. Uh, so like the process there was good. The other part I like is at 56, John Snyder let us know again. Shout out, you know, pause. Shout out to John Snyder. John Snyder is so bad at lying to us. He's so bad at it. Like, because he, he, he just, every time he's about to tell us, the, uh, he's about to lie, he either tells us the truth or just says, you know what, I'm just not going to talk about it. Because he, he, he just, when, when he gets, he's so excited, he's so passionate about his job that he just tells us the truth. Remember last year he was like, yeah, you know, we were going to trade out. Green Bay just basically blew us off, so we took Jordan Brooks. You're not supposed to tell us that. <laughs> you're just not. What 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 good does us knowing that have to do with anything? Like telling us you were going to trade out. Okay, I can see you admitting that. Why would you tell us which team? Like there's just not. There's no benefit. But he told us, so thank you. Did the same thing this year. It was like, hey, you know, we had a trade, guys. We was about to trade, and then they blew us off. Didn't say who this time. And then we took Dwayne Eskridge. Even though I'm cool with them taking three picks, they had to be considering trading back. Because you have to look at how the board goes. There was a run on, uh, what was there a run on Friday? I think it was like tackles. I feel like tackles kept coming off the board and receivers kept coming off the board um, in the second round. So they just had to plan. I liked that process. And instead of uh, just taking the best available, because I don't think that Dwayne was the best available player on the board at that time, they took the best available player at a position of need. So I, I liked that process just right there. And I think me, you, me and you, Chris, can agree. Even if we don't know, like we like the process is good, but then you go into the player itself, I like the Dwayne pick. I'm I think he can ball. I, I think he's going to ball. I thought it was I, – I liked it too. We talked about last season, the Seahawks just need someone that can be explosive. And we compared it more to more so to a Cole Beasley, a guy that can get in and out of his breaks quick. Yeah, just yeah. someone that can get up the field. We don't need him to score on the first play, but just 
someone that Russ can be like, ah, I can rely on him to give me a first down. Kind of, I want to say your third down possession receiver. Yeah, possession so, receiver would someone be. Someone yeah, that's yeah. going to make plays. Well, Dwayne has that, and he has lightning in a bottle, meaning one catch, and he could be out of there, and you have six on the board. Yeah, fast. Because watching his highlight tape, he gets it, and he's gone. And that's one thing the Seahawks need outside of what they have. DK can do it. Ty Lockett, that's not his game. His game is more so building up downfield, making plays downfield. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne can do it both. He can do it downfield for you. You can go deep. And then if you want to just throw a little bubble to him, that could end up being 30-40 touchdown. That is the explosion they need. The only question is, how is this offense going to look now? Because when you watch this tape, that offense is RPO. <laughs> yeah, the Western Michigan offense? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's very run, simple. It run, is one read. Run pass option, all right? Well, the Seahawks did one thing, and that was, oh, we're, we're resigning Chris Carson, and we're going to give him some money here. Mm-hmm. That initial thought bait, the initial thought process there is, okay, well, how is all this going to work? You pay Chris Carson, you extend Tyler Lockett, and now you're bringing in a guy who was a home run hitter in regards to catching the ball and getting downfield. Got a lot to work with here, Pete. Mm-hmm. What's going on in that mind? And I'm really excited to see what the Seahawks do with that because ultimately – that's what this is all about. You draft a guy to come in and help your team. He's supposed to provide, produce, depending on where he's drafted, whether it's you know 56th overall or the 200th guy. You brought him in for a reason. You felt that his contribution to the team will be positive. And Dwayne is a guy that, based on what I've seen, production can be there. But to your point, we don't know how good these guys are going to be. We have no clue. I We're, do like his skill set, though. But yeah, his skill set, it, it looks good. I did read Dane's profile on him, some of his weaknesses, route running, and when he has one option, which is a slant. I mean, yeah, if, you don't, if no one's stopping that, why change up? You don't got to be good at route running in college. I'm just like, it's just, you really don't if, <laughs> you're, if you're faster DK, than everybody. Think about DK, right? Everyone was worried about his route running, and of course, he's gotten better at it as you know, going into second year. He improved right. tremendously. I mean, if we could grab that clip that you posted from year one when he ran the comeback route mm-hmm. and how poorly it was ran. Also, the throw was just terrible. If we compared it to him running that same route last offseason, so last year in training camp, right. it'd be completely different. And then his third year, I'm imagining it's going to be even better. Same with Dwayne. He didn't have to do a bunch of routes. I mean, if cats can't hang with him on a slant and they're running RPO, why change up now? Yeah, there's no reason to. And that's going to be the growth of him. Okay, now I'm not asked to just do slants, okay? I got to work on these routes. I got to work on these type of things to enhance this Seahawks offense. That'll be the key point there. What can he bring to this offense? And the Seahawks, clearly Pete and John see something in him. I saw a lot on the tape. Let's see what he's able to do. And also, another thing is punt return, kick return. I really, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, yeah. I really hated that lockup was out there. And I know you liked it because, shoot, Tyus said he wants to do it all. That's cool. We want you to do it all, but we also need you on offense more than anything. Well, he also just needs to be getting busy back there, and he just kind of wasn't that's after fair. A, a point. DJ that's, Reed just was better. And that's fine. If DJ Reed can do it, cool. But I also see Tyler as a bigger focal point on the offensive end. Like, for example, if you lost Ty Lockett on a punt return. I don't. You, so, I, I okay, I get your I point. I, it's it's really, it's minute. It's not I, the biggest deal. Not, but it's something that I think a lot of people feel, that there's like a high injury no risk. it's not even a high it's just the risk of it i would i don't even think it. it's that risky to be it's not it's, it's not really that like how many punt returns you're doing in a you know in a, any given game not where you actually return it that's true you're doing you're back, you're back there probably six seven times a game or whatever yep. but you're returning i think david moore probably returned like 
I can go look it up, but I bet not you many. It's Under probably 10. Like, it's, yeah, I'm about to say it's probably a single digit number. I'm gonna look that up. Go ahead. But I also just, I also feel that having Ty Lockett not worried about punt returning, it's just less for him to worry about. No, that, that that's he's true. just more focused on. We got three downs. We gotta get a first down here. Okay, that's my that's where my that's where my head's at. Um, he doesn't have to worry about punt returning and all that. He's worried about the offense, what he can do to get six on the board. And now you bring in. Someone like Dwayne and Trey Brown too is also looked at to be some do some punt return kick coverage. That's going to open up for other guys like Ty Lockett to even be be even more effective in the offense. David Moore returned twelve punts last year. That is not. It's nothing. Yeah, like I don't think under ten, but those hell. those eight those those twelve plays. I get your I get your point though. The big the big picture is you're bringing some young guys that can do it. Better, hopefully. Yeah, I, I only that. So that, I guess that's my main point. I don't like taking someone like Tyler off of kick return or punt return for the sake of his health. I, if you see, if you have someone better, that's my point. Don't actively put someone worse out there to protect Lockett's health. And I don't think the Seahawks have done that per se. Uh, no, 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 they haven't. They, I think the people they've ever replaced him with have been, or like DJ Reed. Better was better at it. Uh, at least this version of Tyler. None of these guys have been better than 2015 Tyler, who was housing Disgusting. them joints. Yeah, he was housing <laughs> them joints. But like, and even 2017 Tyler was like second team All Pro, I think, as a returner. I gotta look that up. But like, I don't like the idea of just let's just pull Tyler off of it, even if we don't have a good backup plan because it's healthier. So that's a little. No, silly. I liked if you're gonna pull him off there, put someone back there who's nice. Like that's that's kind of my thing. I guess I left um, that out. That's a good point. No, too. yeah, because it gets tricky there because like, I don't – and that's like you get people who like put the – they make the number one – like your number one receiver shouldn't be your punt return guy. Well, yeah, if he's good at it, put him back there. If you've got a better option, then sure. But I don't – like if um, – who's who's a team with their number one receiver who's like probably would be their best punt The only returner? one I can remember off top because I did watch a bunch of Steelers game was Antonio Brown. Yeah, like Antonio he was Brown. Really back there. <laughs> Returning punts <laughs> and then catching ADR bombs from Ben Roethlisberger. Here's a, you know what? Here's the best example probably in, in, current, in yes. the league is Tyreek. Tyreek okay. is probably their best guy at that thing, even though they have other guys. I wouldn't like to choose Andy Reid to be like, ah, we pull Tyreek so he don't get hurt. No, pull Tyreek because you think McCole Hardman's better at it or something. Yeah, or the uh, Seth Pringle or something. Don't pull him just be just for the health thing. Pull him because you think you're just gonna help your team. If Scared you put money don't better. make money. Yeah, like you, anyway. You know what my other thing on Dwayne Eskridge is, and this is. So I'm going to make two points here. One's like good for the Seahawks and one I'm going to, you know, break some hearts probably. The first good thing is that Dwayne brings, hopefully, fingers freaking crossed, some yards after catch ability. Like you said, you can put the ball in his hands and who knows, You 30 yards later, you may have a big play. He is really good in that regard. I believe this is a stat from Dan Brugler that said that he averaged... 9.4 yards after the catch per reception. So basically, wherever when he's getting it in his hands, he's damn near getting you another first down. That's perfect. no, that's sick. <laughs> right? He averaged 23 yards per just reception, which is also bananas, yeah. right? That you're a big play waiting to happen at that point for his career. I think he averaged 18 yards. Yep, per reception. Eight and a half. Yeah, and that's over five years. And I think yeah, and within that five years, he was averaging nine point four yards, nine point four yards per reception, uh, yak per reception. That's that's those are ridiculous numbers. Those probably is probably the highest in the FBS, uh, in that five year span, like of of guys who got a certain amount of targets or whatever, qualifying receivers. That's absurd. 
I think that's a huge element that they could have. Now that's the glass half full. Look at this. Fill up the glass. Yeah. Now see. Now I'm a glass half empty here. <laughs> the Seahawks have had guys with yak ability. You know, look at the guys that they've had on the roster that have been good with the ball in their hands at receiver. You know, look at this way. We were just talking about guys who uh, do kickoff and punt return, right? How many receivers have the Seahawks had that are so good with the ball in their hands that they've returned kicks and punts? A lot. They've had Golden Tate. They've had Percy Harvin. They had Doug Baldwin, who used to return punts and kicks, uh, I believe. They've had Tyler Lockett. These are all the guys who are so good with the ball in their hands, they're out there running, turning kicks and stuff. Yet, the yak in this scheme is so just lacking every year. The only consistent thing, because you've changed OCs, you've changed some personnel, the only thing consistent is the quarterback. And it lends me to believe that the issue with the yak is not the OC, it is not the personnel, it might be the quarterback. So... And I've, I've heard that from people before. So I'm fingers crossed that Dwayne is so dynamic and Shane is just a, coming from the Rams, changes that. He's got the magic yak potion. You know how they got the Michael Secret Sauce and Space Jam? That he has the yak potion, but there's something in me that says it's not just changing out shoddy and adding a little gadget guy. That's not, I don't know if that's enough, but he is good at it. So I do think the ingredients are there. The other thing I want to note is, and I talked about this on Twitter briefly with um, um, the homie Matt Brown, um, does the great film reviews and stuff for uh, Sports Illustrated, the Maven site um, on the Seahawks side. There is, and I think I talked about this when they hired Shane Waldron. Everything is getting projected that Shane Waldron is going to come here and have this magically new quick game and horizontal passing game that was just lacking under Brian Schottenheimer, and it's just going to get the ball out of Russell's hands a lot faster and all these things that we have no idea are really going to happen. We don't. I've talked to people who've, who know a little bit about Shane. No one can guarantee with this guy that he's bringing that. I don't think we're magically going to see Russell with a quick passing game just because Shane showed up. And I think what people have pointed me to is, A, the tape. Just go look at the tape. Um, but then, B, we have a large enough sample size of Russell and where he likes to throw the ball that where he throws it is probably not going to change in terms of his frequent, like, spots. Like, if you go look at, like, a heat map or, you know, this looks like, kind of looks like spilled paint on the on the chart. Yeah, those. You go look at those for Russ over his entire career it tells you this guy likes to throw it outside the numbers. That's just kind of what he likes, which probably means that is what he is most comfortable with. Cool. I don't think changing it to Shane or changing it, you know, or uh, when it was shoddy, changing that from Daryl Bevel, I don't think that's going to naturally fix that. I think that's just a quarterback preference thing. Like, I think the Ravens, Ravens fans are learning that it's the opposite with Lamar. You look at Lamar, I don't think he, he it's maybe an arm strength thing. Like his thing ain't throwing outside the numbers. That's why like you line him up in three tight end receiver sets, and that's his thing. Throwing to Hayden Hurst and what's that dude name? His other tight end, Mark something. Mark Andrews. Like yeah, those are his guys. That's what he's good at. It's like the opposite of Russ, I believe. Like that's just kind of who Lamar is. It's not gonna change. Even though I like that they got Rashad Bateman or whatever. That's I just don't think that that's gonna change who your guy is. And so 
I think that there's a potential for the Dwayne to be that impactful guy with like that's the best case. Let's put it this way: it's the best case scenario for Dwayne. He comes in, Eskridge that is, comes in, and now all of a sudden he's averaging probably like four yards, air yards per target, meaning the ball's getting to him fast. But he's the type of guy who's still averaging like 13 yards a catch, which means like he's, what would that be? You know, I hate doing math. Why did I do that to myself? I do not know. That's nine, that's like nine yards. Difference there. Yeah. After the catch, which would be crazy. I think the leader in yards after catch per reception for the Seahawks in 2020 was Freddie Swain at like seven. So, and he only had 13 catches, so that's not a great sample size. So my point is that's the best. The worst is that they have a lesser version of like Percy Harvin and use him the same way they use Percy. Pete even mentioned like the hand it to him, flip it to him. That stuff sounds cute. I'm not really into that. I'm into just throw it to him and let him work. Uh, that should be the thing you do the most. Cause like with Percy, it was like, yeah, fly sweeps and jet sweeps and stuff. Like, that was cool. It was cute. I don't want you guys to be cute. 56 overall pick. You cute. Throw I need the you damn ball. Yeah, throw him the rock. He's a receiver. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how he get down. So that's that would be actually worst case scenario if he's just like. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Walmart brand Percy. Which I don't think, I think he has the talent to be, you know, more like a Tyler, like you mentioned, going downfield. So, like, that's kind of where I'm at with Dwayne. There's a really good chance that he, like, balls out. But then it's like, ooh, man. There's a chance that he does There's a chance that, like, they have this nice toy and never, they have this really fast car and never take it over 100 miles on the freeway. Mm. Like, nah, man. Push said something like that to Jimmy Graham, I believe. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Jimmy Graham liked the tweet out of nowhere. I was like, oh, man, Jimmy's in the cut lurking. He's still pissed about that. Uh, and Because he knows I was right. Like, yeah, they got they bought a Ferrari and stuck it in the garage. <laughs> You know, and only, it was ninety degrees yeah, every only, day. Yeah, it only <laughs> took it out once. You know, once a uh, one, one month out the year. It's just not how that works when you spend that much on that nice car. Same thing with Dwayne. He's a nice car. I mean, you gotta get on the freeway and test that joint. Yeah, you go on the speed limit. You know, with a Ferrari, don't do that. So if Pete does that, okay, then you wasted the pick. Yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. We got the new OC. Maybe Shane's a little smarter. Um, gets a little bit more creative. We'll see. But some of that again is Russ too. He's the quarterback. He controls. The passing game at the end of the day, Shane can only drop so much. So I'm I'm hopeful, but like I do need everyone to understand there is a there's a world where this actually ends up blowing up in Seattle's face, and then Dwayne signs with like the Rams. The Rams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
both knew oh, where that yeah. was going. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He signs with the Rams. And Sean McVay's like, oh, man. The other thing, too, last thing on Dwayne before we go to the next pick. Um, I think Dwayne's already 24, um, I believe. Dwayne is 24. Yeah, 24. Turned 24 in, in March. March. 23rd, yeah. So by the time he's out of that uh, rookie deal, he'd be like 28 or something like that. So, ah. I don't know how big I'd be on extending a guy at that point. So you need to maximize him now while he's on the on the cheap. That's my last thing. You know what blew up in our face? The cornerback position. Who the Seahawks are going to draft? No yeah. one. I don't think anyone out there saw a five nine cornerback being drafted by the Seahawks. And not, you not did, to play on the outside. Outside, period. I know I didn't see that coming when they drafted him. I, whoa, dude's five nine. Okay, watch the press conference with Pete and John. Oh, yeah, we're bringing him in to play corner. Reverse, reverse, uh, rewind. What? We are bringing him in to play corner. So you're telling us you want him outside one or two, and you didn't bring him in to play nickel or punt return. Oh, we'll try him out everywhere, but the main focus is we want Mm -hmm. to bring Trey in to play cornerback. Am I making myself clear? Oh, okay, got it, Pete. Yeah, no. That was, wow. Pete's switching things up. And could it be a good thing? Sure, absolutely. It could be great. Did I you think see, it could be a great thing. See what thing. DJ Reed did? Imagine if Pete ignored DJ and the Niners kept him and the Seahawks signed it, I don't know, some other guy. We would have never gotten, never. we would have never saw what DJ was all about with the Seahawks. We would have gone up against him like, God damn, this dude's balling. Then come to find out, oh yeah, the Seahawks had a shot to take him, but they passed on him because he had an injury and they didn't want to risk it. Oh, it's a bad move. Well, you, you, but now no, they're bringing yeah, bring in DJ. He balls out. Plays well, it opens the door for a guy like Trey Brown. And Pete didn't acknowledge that. He actually said it had nothing to do with it, really. Which I find very hard to believe. Well, I'm not calling Pete a liar, but my goodness, Pete. Let me you, find a direct quote from that. If you don't have a DJ, DJ Reed out there, do you even look Trey's direction? Is he even a thought? Because we, we did the little exercise of going back and looking at all the DBs that Pete has drafted, and there's not many guys that are under six feet that he's like, it's going to be an outside corner. I see it. He So Pete said, at first he said not necessarily when I believe Brady Henderson of ESPN asked, did DJ Reed explicitly or directly influence your decision? Now, he said not necessarily because he's coached guys over the years and just kind of, you know, has been more open-minded in that way. But then he also, he said, quote, but I would say that the fact that DJ did such a nice job, it gave us a little bit more of a mold of guys. Boom. Like, end quote. So... Uh, and then he compared DJ Reed to like Russell Wilson in the regard of like, yeah, if one dude does it, it does open your eyes a little bit. Like Kyler Murray is, I think Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield are both like descendants of Russell Wilson's like quarterback paradigm, I guess, if that makes sense. Like they don't get drafted number one overall if Russ doesn't ball out. You know, he, That's ma- simple. maybe they still make the league, but teams are not willing to just hitch their wagon to them at number one overall if there wasn't already a 5'11 dude balling. That wasn't the even number one overall. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like it's one thing to like set this trend of like, oh, we can take you know Drew Brees second round, Russ third round. No, you guys have been so good, and I think Drew Brees is like the the father. Yeah, godfather. <laughs> He's the big it. one. Yeah, and then Russ. But I think like th- it's the same thing, and I think I agree with Pete's point there. And this is another part where. Again, I don't know how good Trey is. I ain't never seen him play other than today. You know, I've, I've watched him. Uh, uh, today I watched his, like, senior bowl cut-ups and everything. Uh, I watched some highlights. That was really fast. That chase down against Baylor that I tweeted a video of, really good. This is another pick, though, where I like the process. Pete has to be more open-minded, man. He just really does. And the more I've been covering the team and the NFL, 
I've noticed that Pete's, the 32-inch arm thing is actually really stupid. <laughs> it really is. You're just limiting your yeah, playing. You're, you're unnecessarily limiting yourself. He's not pigeonholing himself at any other spot. He'll take a tight end that's built weird, a defensive tackle. Like, he took Malik McDowell, who was like 6'6", 299, to play defensive tackle, and also took Puna Ford, who's like, what? 5'11", 5'10". And like 320 or something like that to also play defensive tackle because he understood that these guys are so good that if the measurables aren't what we're used to, that's fine. They can ball out. He, he took a 5'10 or 5'11 quarterback. He's got receivers like Tyler. He's got receivers like DK. He's got t- tackles built like Jermaine Fetty. He's got tackles built like uh, Dwayne Brown. You know, he's got... he. My point is they've been willing to ignore measurables if a guy can ball at just about every spot you know if you can do that why pigeonhole yourself at hopefully i'm using pigeonhole right but why limit yourself at corner i don't understand why you would do that for that position because the legion of boom set it off and pete hasn't it's been tough for him to get out of that okay this is legion boom 2.0 he hasn't that he's i think he's finally leaving that in the past realizing he, he hit on gold and it's really tough to hit on gold again and now he's probably realizing, okay, I should open it up and see about these other athletes. I did get DJ Reed, who no one knew about. And right? mostly, if it sounds like Josh Snyder deserves all the credit, credit for, yep. for that one. But either way, I do think, yes, maybe that is it. Maybe. I, this yeah, is just That's one of those things there. that I probably need. I wish I could just ask Pete that if I catch him in the hallway or in a parking lot or in a, you know, at the bar or something. Like, yo, be honest with me. Because, like, I understand having a preference like, I prefer guys with 32-inch arms to play outside corner. Cool, but you shouldn't only want that. Like, I just think that's – no matter what era of football you're in, I just think that's – that's the longer I've been covering, I think that's just silly. Like, I think to do that is dumb. The other part of that is the game is changing. And Josh yeah. Snyder acknowledged that today, too. Pete even did a little bit as well. The game is changing. Before, you got teams who had their number one receiver was probably an X receiver, like in the, you know, DK mold, uh, D-Hop, who's another big, you know, big X like that. You, you, like a T.O., Des Bryant, like that t- Chad Johnson, kind of like that mold of like a, on the outside, running a lot of nines and posts and whatever, like, and you stick your big outside guy out there on him. That was great. Yep. It's changing now. Look at a lot of teams' number one receivers are dudes Speedy. like, yes, like Stephon Diggs, uh, Devontae Adams. Um, I'm blanking right now, but you know, there's like, there obviously, there's also guys like AJ Brown, too, who's like a traditional, like, X looking dude. It's like DK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there, there's other molds of number one receivers, right? It does do nothing to have a guy, Richard Sherman or Brandon Brown or size, if the other team Tyree comes Hill. in. Yeah, if, if the other team's best guy is Tyreek and he's in the, yeah, or Thielen or Michael Thomas or all these guys who they're just moving into the middle, you know, like every, the Julio Jones as the prototypical number one is no longer a thing. Shifting I think. away. Yeah, I think. And you can see it and how they're lining up guys is different now. You'll see Julio's line up in the slot. You'll see a d-hop lineup in the slot you'll see a uh, a dk lineup in the slot so that long arms and stuff like that to get their hands on guys it's not doing you as much good because who's pressing dk metcalf in the goddamn slot not many Stephen people. gilmore tried that and got his got barbecued, barbecued. for 50 yard touchdown on national tv <laughs> ended up on his face and yes. DK ended up in the end zone you don't do that that's not smart and so when you see that you have to adjust accordingly short area quickness guys with good verts regardless of their height I think all of those things we should have become more important. And I'm glad that they're kind of open-minded. At least I'd like to think 
in that way. That's the most important part of the pick, the Trey Brown pick, at least for now. We'll see if he can play or whatever. But they needed to have a better process there, man. Like, I was going through pre-draft, and you were probably doing the same thing, looking through Dane's draft guide and other draft guides. And we, if you look at the how long the dude's arms is. <laughs> if it don't match up. We were skipping. I'm not even reading that I don't care stuff. where you're from. Florida, that's cool. But you ain't, your your arms don't match up, homie. Yeah. You're 5'9". Sorry. Like, think about that. We're scratching dudes off the board just because they arms. That's dumb. That's a, that's a dumb thing to, like, limit yourself based off of looking at how the game has shifted especially when they're willing to be so flexible you know at at other spots and i'm glad i'm glad pete kind of came around on that because if a guy can ball a guy can ball shouldn't matter his height i I look look at the nba for example oh katie's too skinny did you not see what he did in texas my man was killing everyone look at the whole nba the whole nba is positionless basketball yeah ben simmons a huge point guard you know it's like can't shoot but he still sometimes get 40 points yeah like it's (laughs) it's it's fine you know ben simmons and steph curry play the same spot it's or you know better example chris paul and ben simmons have the same type of game and there's there's a huge it's like he's like a foot taller than chris (laughs) paul you know because they come in all different sides you know magic johnson whatever like you know, LeBron's a big point. It just it just works. Jokic is a big ass point guard. <laughs> For the most part, like it just works like that. Like you can flexibility is important in this game. You can still have traits that you like. Oh, look, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, look definitely. at the traits that the, you know. Uh, um, I talked to Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, of Oklahoma. Uh, former to at the Cougs, but it's all yeah, good. Yeah, former defensive coordinator, of Washington State. That's how I was able to uh, talk to him um, on Saturday. Talked to him after the draft, and we were just talking about Trey. I was like, you know what? How? Do, why do you think he's able to just ball out on the outside? He was like, he's just he's a he's got some dog in him. He was like, he he's not really afraid of no moments. He's not afraid of the moment. He thinks if the ball is in the air, it belongs to him. Like he told me, he told me to, uh, on Saturday, he was like, for for Trey Brown, making plays is not extra credit. It's the expectation. Mm. That's a direct quote. I thought that was fire. <laughs> that was a fire line. Because like if the ball is in the air, it's my job to knock it down. It's not a bonus if I knock it down. And then when that's your mindset, that's a Pete Carroll trait. That is a trait. Like you're still drafting a trait, which you should be doing, but you're just not limiting yourself to drafting a measurable. Yeah. So that's what I really liked about Trey too. And I mean, he fast. Yeah, four. Ooh, was it four four? I think he ran four four. Yeah. Yeah, got speed. I mean, we saw the chase down. Dude clearly was out of there, and somehow he decided to hit another gear. And yeah, I bet you him. that dude that he that got hawked down is not getting drafted. That Baylor receiver. That was, yeah, that's bad. I felt bad posting that. Hopefully, a, he's a sophomore or junior or something. You know, build up the speed again. Hopefully, he switches to defense. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that dude not getting drafted. You getting hawked down in the title game? That would have won in the game. Yeah, and I look at. <laughs> With Trey, I also look at a stat that you love, passes defense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 35 for his career. In what, four years? Four years. That's 35. good. 35. That's good. He had nine his senior year, and then he had 12-12 back-to-back. So his sophomore and junior year, he had 12 twice. And then he had nine his senior year. Second team, all Big 12, kick return, led a team there, which was like, man, this dude can also do punt kick return. Mm-hmm. And the Seahawks, okay, you had Travis Homer back there. He was solid, but if you can bring in someone that's better, why not, right? Second team, all Big 12, led team in pass defense, which I talked about. Mm-hmm. The dude, as you mentioned, can ball. Pete's mind thinking, okay, how about I not worry about someone that has all these intangibles with their arm length and height? This kid, Trey, he can, he can go out there and compete, something I like. He has, an, he's, he has an expectation to go out there and do these things. That's his job. Not expectation, excuse me. It's his job to go out there and do that. He doesn't look at it as a bonus. I like this mindset. You know what? 
we gonna switch things up. Sorry for all my draft experts. <laughs> We're taking Trey. You do what? Because it's all about the ball with Pete. So we get the ball. You got a chance. So here's another thing on Bingo. trade. Um, this is a really good question by Joe Fan, friend of the show. Shout out to Joe. Joe had asked Pete. Um, oh, excuse me. He had asked Trey. He's like, Trey, one of the knocks in your profile is that, uh, you know, you get really handsy. You got penalties. A lot of penalties. I think Grabby someone, I think someone, field. yeah, I think someone said he has 17 over the last two years. I, I saw that somewhere um, on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if that's for sure. I do know he had a lot of them. Man. Like if you if you type in Trey Brown and penalties on Twitter, you get a lot of Oklahoma fans saying he can't cover. Why wasn't he drafted in 2012 or something? Uh, yeah, he would fit right in. Well, that's so Alex Grinch again. I talked about this with him, and he was like that at Wazoo too. He would tell our guys, "Look, man, get your hands on the guy. Make them have to call the flag." Because in that in Oklahoma, the way they preach it is, if we have to teach you to be, a, if we have to tell you to be more aggressive, you're the wrong player for us. Mm. We wouldn't have to tell you to be less. Like we went, you know, that's how they, you know, so if you get a flag, whatever, that's cool. Especially in college, rules are a little different too, but also a pass interference called 50 yards downfield is only 15 yards. Whereas in the NFL, it's spot foul. So college, I would tell my DBs that too. Hey, you beat, just pull them down. <laughs> pull, them, <laughs> pull them down. It is good. We'll take 15 yards. We won't take the 50 yard completion. So, you know, I... They do the same math at Oklahoma, and I like that. Um, so, and then that they told their guys to get grabby. So that's why you have someone like that, and that's why it's on Trey's scouting profile, and that's why he had so many penalties. And I imagine you go look at a lot of Oklahoma DBs who are playing under Grinch, who are doing that same style. They probably all have a lot of penalties. Oklahoma's DBs, it wouldn't surprise me. They probably led the Big Twelve in, you know, DPIs or or whatever. So I don't even think that's necessarily a huge deal with that context around it, because I saw the penalty number, and I was like, ooh. This sounds like Trey Flowers, almost, getting grabby with the ball in the air. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, wait a minute. Like, this is a product of coaching and can probably be a little unlearned and refined, you know, at the NFL level, especially in a place where, yeah, like we said, 40 yards downfield, that's a 40-yard penalty versus 15. Like, I, I, th- I still think, I'll be talking about the size. I do think that can be an issue, like, because there are still big guys who can make plays, yeah. you know, in the NFL. But that's just matchup. You just got to come, for example, if they're going up against the Cardinals, they got Larry, they got D-Hop, they have... A.J. Green AJ now. Green I don't now. think they have Larry right now, actually. Well, assuming he does come back. Yeah, but I, they have A.J. and D-Hop, right? I mean, still, those are both big, yeah. You probably want to figure it out, okay, we're going to use Trey today a little bit more on the outside, and that's which, fair. Which Trey? Don't play with me. Trey Flowers. That's what you mean? Yes. Yeah, Okay. I okay. see what you did there. I You're wasn't right. sure. No, You're I legitimately right. was not sure. I, I forgot. There are two trays now. So yeah. you know what? It's I'm felt the say, same too. So I'm yeah. just gonna say flowers and brown. So okay. you put flowers over there, cornerback one or cornerback two. If Akello shows promise and you are confident in him, you throw him out there. Mm-hmm. And then at nickelback, you can rotate DJ and Trey if that's how it comes down. And then you still have Ugo. There's definitely options and you can definitely play against the matchups and how you see fit. Or shade shade some help over there if you do have like I say. Slot a linebacker under there real quick. Yeah. See what the running back's doing. Okay, he's blocking. Go ahead and cheat over under there and help out. There's definitely ways you can eliminate deep threats with bigger targets. I always say when we play, I man, just cheat over, bro. Take that entire side. I don't care about this side. Cheat all the way over to that side where there's a six foot three receiver. And I you like could, my odds you on could that. do it situationally too. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be the whole game. You're right. Yeah. Maybe on a crucial third down on the fourth quarter. Which I wish they would have done two years ago against Green Bay. You're right. There's yeah. no reason that Ugo should have been on Devonta Adams under any circumstance. Yeah, I don't give a damn. Well, I mean, you could do it, just not no, in the no, fourth no. quarter with the no, game on the line. No, you can't ever. Now nah, he it. needs those reps. You got to see if he can do it. Sure, in the first quarter, okay, he didn't yeah, do exactly. it. But the fourth quarter rolls around. Timeout. Which I swear, 
when we have Shaq on the pod, I'm going to ask him, like, two years, bro, two years ago, bro, do you remember that play? Were you thinking about calling a timeout? Because I, I remember, you know, seeing the head bobbing. I don't know if you're communicating. He was. He was telling Leno to, never mind. But, yes, but get your point. Yeah. That, you, you need that. And I think the Seahawks are looking forward to that opportunity where they have multiple guys where they can just interchange, oh, move him there, move them around. And it depends on the opponent. You're going to be against Atlanta. You got some dogs. You got some guy that can run. So you're going to need a little more speed. And you got Julio. So you might be able to mix it up. You might be able to put DJ outside with the Kello. And then you have at the nickel back, Ugo or Trey. You just get flexible with it. It just depends on the matchups. Kind of like basketball. It's all about the matchups. Another example, thank you for bringing up Atlanta, is another guy who, like Calvin Ridley, is a number one receiver. Exactly. In the NFL. And he's not just like Julio's side. I think he's 6'1", uh, maybe? 6'1", 190. So, like, yeah, you don't... <laughs> it'd be nice to have someone... Richard Sherman size yeah, on him, but, but these guys are just so and the route running. They're quick. They're fast. They're not. They're not six four and fast. They're six one and quick. They're yeah, shifty. I don't think their breaks are way more. They're quicker. It doesn't take long to develop. I'm not saying that it'll take longer for Julio to develop because when he gets in and out of his breaks, he's wide open. So, that, <laughs> but with someone like Calvin Ridley. That's how quick it is. It's like, damn, he's oh, he's touchdown. Yeah, or even all the guys on the Steelers. I think the, honestly, the Steelers have a really good receiving core. They, you know, they might be yeah. the fastest team when it comes to their receiving core. Yeah, their receivers. Are they good. are. I mean, they're right there with Julio on them, but those they can run. Dallas's group is good too. I don't like know about da- speed wise though. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Dallas's group to overall. Overall is talented. That's yes. a very, very solid group. But even like, I don't know how big Justin Jefferson is either. But yeah, we get our point. The point is, receivers are built a little different, and I think route running is just better. Overall, too, in today's game with the receivers, because you got all the seven-on-seven stuff, and guys are just coming in more polished. They've had more reps running routes, so they're just better at it now. We're gonna get Chad Johnson on the show and talk some routes. Like there's a a whole like that globe, that globe feet global dude on Instagram in Florida who just trains all of these guys to run nasty routes. Like that, I don't think they had stuff specifically like that in like the '80s when guys they did in the '90s. So it's like (laughs) you had to call up Jerry Rice and have a workout. (laughs) Yeah, like now it's different. So I think I, I do like that part of uh, Pete being open-minded in that regard. We've kind of beat that that like a point over the listeners' heads over and over again. But I think stoned it, them. Oh, that's a good transition uh, in, into into that. So this is one more. Again, process. I like the process. Not only is position the need, they went up to do it because they got rid of pick 250. They traded up. First, they traded back before drafting Trey Brown. They picked up pick 217 uh, to go along with pick 250. And those are going to be their two picks in the sixth and the seventh round, I think. And then there was like, hmm. Chicago, what's up? Pick, pick 250 is not worth anything. <laughs> Let's get rid of it and move up. Because, boy, I was ready to slam Pete Carroll and them if they were going to use pick 250. There's a reason why in most of my mock drafts, I had them trading pick 250. The chances of pick 250 making the team are very low. Granted, the chances of pick 208 making it aren't super high. They're higher than pick 250. Pick 250, you you not Mr. Irrelevant, but you live on the same street. You Mr. Irrelevant's cousin. Like, y'all play dates together. Y'all growing up. Y'all are one. All right, them y'all last 10 dudes picked is all the same. Like, I just don't think that's a good use of resources so even though 208 is not super high i do like the idea it sounds like they was in there too a trying to trade up a long time i think johnson they were trying to trade up for like an hour to get stone i like giving up 250 screw that pick go up and get it go up and get a tackle and they got a dude who he is very interesting in this regard so i think we've mentioned a reef's consensus big board did we reference it last 
show with the mock draft. Yeah, we talked yeah. about his so, big board, top 100, 300, was it? Yes, yeah, top 300, yep. and it's combined 70 mocks or 70 big boards of data to get the consensus big board. And I think, what did I have it at? I think Stone checked in at like 118. Dame had him at about 90. And there's that and, uh, offensive line analyst, Brandon Thorne, who runs that trench, warf- uh, trench warfare website, who does a lot of scouting for NFL teams. I think he worked for Bleacher Report um, this draft cycle. But the point is, he knows his stuff. Like, I think he had like a second round grade um, on, on Stone. Like Stone's opinions were everywhere. I think Arif, who did the big board, he like crunch the numbers and like the biggest variance or like the most polarizing player in this draft was stone in that there were people who had first round grades on him and per- people who considered him undraftable. Like that is a think about that. Some people think you're good enough to be a starter day one. Some people think you're not even good enough to make the league. How is everyone looking at the same tape and coming with this wide range of opinions, whether from first round, second round, third round, that is crazy. And so the reason so here, this is tricky for the Seahawks. You asked me what I, th- uh, people probably want what I think about the pick in particular. This has a lot to do with who is going to do the developing. I am willing to give Mike Solari the benefit of the doubt to develop a guy who's that polarizing. Because so far, I like his track record. So far. I do, I would not trust Tom Cable the same way. Like if Tom Cable was to take this guy and there's some people who think he stinks, I'm more inclined to agree with the people who think he uh, who think he stinks uh, because that's what Tom Cable thinks uh, or no because Tom Cable thinks he's good that's probably the opposite is true because I just don't think Tom Cable is good at the O line thing Mike Solari though I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt so Seattle might have landed like a second third round ish talent in the sixth round yeah Dane had him in the third round Dane had him in the third you see like that's probably around the accurate spot. I think like, you know, there's three sides to every story, you know, yours, mine, and the truth. Like it's probably in the, in the middle where he is, but where you fall on this really just determines on if you're willing to give Seattle staff the benefit of the doubt and developing him to be the guy, to be the guy that the first rounders see, or if you, like if Tom Cable, I would say, ah, no, nope. And then people who think he's think probably right. Cause if Tom Cable just not, I'm sorry. I, I like throwing shots at Tom Cable. I just do. I just do. But that's kind of where I'm at with Stone. Because, man, that is a lot of... Not everybody agrees on draft picks and where they should go, but I don't think I've ever seen range like that on a non-quarterback. Quarterbacks can be a little bit different. Like, Mac Jones was like that. There was some people who was like, Mac is ass. There was some people who was like, get Mac up out of here. And then it was like, some people were like, nah, 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 nah. Take him third. Excuse me? <laughs> that's, that's a really wide range. For a tackle... That's about as wide as you're going to get where you got people who have first-round grades on him to people who not even think he's worth being in the league. That's huge. It's a big gap. Yeah, so I, I don't know what to make of that gap totally, but I'm like I said, Solari gets my benefit of the doubt for now. That's kind of where I'm at. It's a tough position. It's tackle. It's one of those where I haven't seen much of him, but reading reports on him, Great pass blocker. That's one thing they raved about. Oh, that's huge. So I like that. And that's great. One thing he needs to work on, though, is the run blocking. And with the Seahawks offense, Pete's trying to get back to his old ways of running the football better. How is he going to react to that opportunity where they're doing something what they'd love to do, but he also has to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And he's looked at as probably the successor of Dwayne Brown, someone that can come in when Dwayne hangs him up, he's ready to go. Clearly he's probably going to redshirt this year. 
the O line stays healthy, he will sit there and yeah. Just, if they do, if not, he'll get some reps. He'll <laughs> he might. We don't know where, but injuries do occur. Yeah, seventeen game season. Somebody gonna get hurt. I'm he sorry. Will, like, is this wood? Yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. He yeah. will find his opportunity there. And that'll give him a chance to play early and get a feel for the game. But if not, he's going to learn from someone in Dwayne Brown. And that's huge. Dwayne's been around the block. He's played for trash quarterbacks. He's played with a really good one. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think Stone can learn from and build off of and help this offensive unit in the pass protection and in the run game. Because if he doesn't improve a run blocker. Yeah, that's a problem. That's tough. I well, mean, I don't know how much better he's going to get at that, too. That I was thinking about that, too, because he's huge. Who is he, 6'8"? Yeah, he's 6'8", 307. Yeah, low, low man wins, so it's just like like him and Puna going up against each other in practice is going to be wild. Because like Puna's going to slide right yeah, his pad level is going to always be, like, we're getting into it now in the weeds. We sound like <laughs> analysts now, but no, for real, like, low man wins. Like It's tough. It's really tough when you're that Massive, <laughs> and that's not, honestly not that heavy either for six eight three zero seven. I feel like that's not that. Probably need to add some. The way I feel crazy telling a dude who's three zero seven to get bigger. Hey man, you you too small out here, G. Yeah, I'm like one sixty two. You know, <laughs> telling a dude three zero seven to get bigger. I will say, uh, so I'm not an online expert. Everybody knows that about me. I think we you are not online experts. Yeah, that's that's true. We're just too. We're, honestly, we're too small to be online experts. That's just like. Hey, throw me the cornerbacks. What's up? Yeah, I, I yeah. Got we, some ones and twos for you. There. Honestly, throw me any other position. <laughs> But O line, because it's very hard. Um, but I think that something interesting is uh, John Snyder mentioned after the game, or excuse me, after the draft, that the Georgia game, uh, I'm assuming the 2020 Georgia game, was uh, Stone's best best performance. And I actually did watch film of that today, because uh, that's where I'm at in my nerdiness. I I watched film that day because it's actually a, there's a cut up on YouTube of his entire Georgia game, and this guy's good, man. Like the pass pro, he's solid. Now, I can so I did see what so I when I was watching, I saw a little bit of everything. I saw oh okay that's first round guy. Like look at look at he look at the wide base, look at the athleticism to recover. You know even if he makes a misstep, like I see it, I see it. And then there's some where I'm like, somebody like Frank Clark's gonna put him on his butt if he does that. This, you know, like the way he lines up sometimes. And the dude narrating it too is doing a really good job explaining it for us simpletons. Um, I should add a link somehow when we drop the podcast. But like I watched that game and you could see it. I see the really good traits. I see like, the, oh, okay, he's going to go up against who's a good edge rusher in the NFC? Oh, yeah. Chandler Jones? Yeah. So when they play Arizona, like he's going to have some good reps against JJ. He's going to have some good, if JJ's still around, um, he's going to have some good reps against Chandler Jones. Yeah. He's going to have, uh, uh, who's the dude on the Rams that was kicking their ass last year? Brockers? No, nah, it was the other dude. Oh, Floyd, Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd. He's going to have good reps against guys like that. And then, <laughs> hopefully, Aaron Donald. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, well, everyone has bad reps against Aaron Donald. That just kind of is what it is. But hopefully, the bad reps aren't like game changers or strip sacks because you can tell they're going to be there. He also seems to set himself up for a lot of like um, a really strong like power move. Like Frank has one of those where he just long arms you in the chest and drives you back. He sets himself up for those. And anybody with a spin move is probably gonna is gonna get him once or twice. Don't let Dwight Freeney come out. And play. Yeah, that's just <laughs> or anyone who studied Dwight. But I think those are things like there's traits that I liked, and I was like, oh, okay, there's some stuff that Mike Solari is clearly gonna fix. But he's gonna like technique, technique, technique him to death. Um, but I do think. Of all the picks that they made today, how do I want to word this to not sound stupid? 
there is potential for this one to have the highest upside, I think. Because I think that Trey's ceiling is probably like really solid starter. That's what it feels like. Successor of Dwayne. Yeah. And then uh and then who's the who's it? Dwayne? I think Dwayne Eskridge's ceiling is like, oh, really explosive, probably make a Pro Bowl, like um like a low end Tyreek Hill type of ceiling, probably. Whereas I think if you get if the first round talent in even the second round talent in stone is harnessed, man, that's that's 10, 12 years of solid, solid play that you got in the sixth round. Well, Russ is playing until he's Honestly, 40. if he ends up being a serviceable left tackle that you found in the sixth round, that's the most valuable pick on the team. Like, even if Dwayne was, Eskridge was to become an all-pro, I could argue that finding an finding a all-pro receiver at 56 and just finding a capable left tackle at, at 208 is about even. In terms of value, positional well, you're value, protecting that blind side to throw to Eskridge for a lot longer too. Like, <laughs> uh, with, yeah, uh, Stone is going to be able to play at his peak a lot longer. Yep. Than Dwayne, who is like I said, already 24. Not that the age matters a ton. I'm just talking about in the grand scheme of things. So that's what I like about the Stone pick. Again, I think I'm putting a lot of faith in Mike Solari right now. He's proven it though. He's done a really good job with that old line. I'll give him that. You know, and yeah, and because we talked about it two years ago, we didn't think we were this old line's gonna be. Ugh. Yeah, they was, got they got better and better each year. I would I'm comfortable with saying every year they've gotten better. Now I'm not saying that it's to the point where Super Bowl or bust, but they have improved upon what they did that previous year. For example, Jermaine Fetty was the most penalized guy in 2018. 2019, he came back. We were wondering, like, damn, is he even out there? And people were still getting on him every time something went wrong, but he actually improved. And I was one of the people that were like, hey, guys, he's actually improved. Instead of having a penalty every game, he only had like five the whole year. And I get that's still bad, but that's an improvement from last season. And I thought the Seahawks should have extended him. But they're like, you wanted this much money? We Well, I think. Well, he didn't get I don't think they offered him. That's just he to went, the point. He went yeah. to the Bears and it's, for a minimum salary to play and guard, it's, and it's not really working out. I don't think too he's well. Still on the, he's still there. Well, they resigned him. him. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. But I but get I, your point. I really thought the Seahawks should have just kept improving with him and rolling with him because they took him early, first round. Yeah, I don't think he was. I mean, I'm with you. It just depends on the price. But I think I think Brandon Shell was probably probably just as good. I don't know. I didn't think that was a great signing either, but. Turned out to work out. But then that's why I'm getting more faith in Solari. He's getting my benefit of the doubt because they took a guy like Shell who lost his starting job and was like, no, no, no. We can get you solid over here. And two other examples that I think, and I think I've written these two with Solari. This will be probably my last thing on this before you get to questions, is you look at, like, there's Brandon Shell, who I think that's a good, like, gauge of, like, Solari's teaching, I think. And then you have, like, Cedric Abui. You remember his first time in the game? He was bad. I think it was the Eagles, I want to say. Shoved right in the rest. Yeah, no, he was he was getting getting whooped. He sat out for a little bit, presumably watched some tape with his coach, had stuff to go over, and the next times he was out there, he was fine. Like he was holding it down. The same thing goes for um what's my man's name? They kicked him off the team because he hit his guy. Oh, Chad Wheeler. Chad, yes, Chad Wheeler. Chad, when he first played. I forget which game. I want to say the Giants, maybe. He was trash. He said they're looking terrible. Maybe it was a Jets game. I don't remember. He was terrible. The next times he came in, 
fine. Coaching. Like they gave him tape. You got tape? Okay, here. Here's what you did. Here's where you sucked. Here's where I'll fix you. Fix you. Done. Like that, I think that's that's where I like. Like guys like you mentioned are getting like you're looking at the O line as a whole got better. Agree there too. But then there's like there's these individual examples of like stark growth right away. Yeah. And I don't think that like Cedric just woke up, oh, I can know how to play tackle now. No. I think that's that's part of your, you know, the guy with you every day helping you out. So I think that's gonna be I think I think yeah, that's why all of that long long story short is why I am in favor of the stone pick because they got Solari. So well, that's a positive way of yeah, looking at it. I like that. So Mike Solari don't leave. Well, I <laughs> hopefully they listen. He listens. Yeah, I don't think he's going. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think he's going nowhere. I don't think he is. Well, you did hint about Twitter questions. You surprised me today. I checked my Twitter. I was like, God damn, what the hell well, happened? I, we haven't took t- questions in forever. So it's been probably since the last game of the season. Yeah, and I, I knew I knew people would uh want to you know hear from us after the draft. So yeah, what we got. We got quite a few, man, but let's get to it. Twitter questions. We want to thank all of y'all for tapping in and asking. We appreciate all the love and support. We'll start off with at Elliot underscore Greason. What's your read on Stone? Will he be putting up a challenge for Shell's job at right tackle? Or is he going to sit behind Brown and be his replacement in a few years? Do you think the Seahawks make a move for center as well with some unrestricted few agents or some other trade? And then lastly, Sherman. Damn, how many questions he asks on this one? And you got about four in there. Oh, boy. So okay. you must also okay. know about Sherman and if he's going to be on the Hawks or somewhere else as well. Okay. So I touched on Stone just now. Um, I, I think he'll be like a swing tackle, kind of like how they've been using Jamarco Jones and Cedric Abui. Like, he'll he'll come in as left tackle, but if something happens, it's just next man up. Like, you're, yep. if you're a tackle, is a tackle. And in, like, in terms of depth... Like, they have you where they want you, ideally, but, like, guy rolls his ankle, you just got to do it. That's Damian Lewis. Yeah, like, I was a guard, and they're like, hey, bro, <laughs> you slide we, on over. We need you as center on, like, three days' notice. Remember, <laughs> uh, Kyle hours. Fuller got hurt against the Rams on a Sunday. Yep. Damian Lewis had to start on a Thursday. Tough love. Yeah, and, and was like, mm, good enough. On three got days' job done. Yeah, on three day one. Yeah, so <laughs> on three days' notice, that's tough. Um, the other part of that, what was that? Uh, center? Mm-hmm. They make a move at center where they're unrestricted free agent or, you know, they trade. So I kind of look at center the same way I do quarterback in the mold of like, if you're looking for someone who can plug in right away, you probably need to take him very early in the draft. If you want him to play as a rookie. Like, I don't think you're grabbing a seventh round quarterback to be your backup. I just don't think you are. Same way, at least as a rookie. Once you develop any position in any uh, draft slot can ball but i just think that once you get past like the third round once you get past day two you're probably not taking a center who's going to be a backup or even a starter as a rookie and i think you're in the same position at quarterback for the most part once you get into day three or even the undrafted that guy ain't gonna be your backup like a, a, a gardner Minshew is very rare a tom brady obviously is very rare who else is a day three dak prescott rare i think nick Foles might have been i don't know but you guys get the gist at that point it's rare that you're getting a guy who's going to be ready to start as a rookie or even play as a rookie develop maybe later sure i think joey hunt was like a third day three guy but in general that's kind of where i'm at on centers so maybe they'll go at the udfa route i just don't have faith in that guy giving ethan a push this year I, i just don't i just think that's that position requires too much smarts Last too, one was on Sherman. Is it too oh. much smarts? Like, grammatically, that sounds bad. Too much intelligence? Whatever. You guys get the point. I just don't think that's a position that you can 
once you got to get that i feel kind of the same way about tackle for the most part okay um but stone is so there's so many positions on him i think or so many opinions on him i think it's a little different and then what was the fourth part sherm Elliot, that's a lot elsewhere. of questions brother um yeah uh with sherm gonna be on the hawks or elsewhere i would probably guess elsewhere so here's my thing on sherm teams are going to be calling him now just you know because if they didn't draft corners the thing is though, there was a lot of big corners um here teams don't have a lot of money and sherm's probably gonna want to win too like is he gonna go to the jets <laughs> Uh, maybe because yeah, it's, it's Salah yeah. but like still wants to win though yeah that's a tough so, one and I don't know how much money they have left so because Trevor costs a lot you know I think his contract first round is, pick I think his contract is fully guaranteed too um, first overall there you go yeah so I would guess somewhere else though so here's where Sherm probably is going to be at um, if someone gets hurt Sherm's probably be on a short list of guys to come in same with KJ and um, if he wants to keep playing I would put Larry Fitzgerald on that list too of guys like hey guy rolls his ankle someone kid tears his acl in camp or uh something they'll call you in tricky part about that is a lot of teams have already announced that their guys ain't showing up for mini camp and stuff like that so in otas so it could be sherm could be a free agent all the way to like august you know similar to like how jr sweezy was the year he signed too um, or even like a Brandon Marshall the year he signed. I don't remember when he signed. Uh, th- I think that was in the summer though. But you guys get the you guys get the point. I did not like that. You loved it. Though. Next next question. <laughs> this is from Mo. Is Jim Nagy on the payroll, or what does he have on them? So Jim Nagy is the director of the Senior Bowl. He used to work for the Seahawks. That's the uh, kind of the inside joke there. No, I think so. Obviously, the Senior Bowl is important, but I really think, and I don't, I gotta phrase this properly. I don't think the Seahawks are doing this necessarily. No one's told me this, but I imagine that it would be very useful. Jim Nagy and John Snyder are homies. It's not that they used to work together and that like they work together now because the senior bowls where every team works with <clears throat> or visits for talent. They're actually homies. Like they probably talk about stuff that ain't football together. If I'm a team trying to figure out how other teams view certain prospects, I'm calling Jim. <laughs> I'm like, yo, Jim, you talk to Kansas City? What they think about that dude? Oh, they got him in the second round now? Hmm, interesting, good to know. <laughs> Again, I can't guarantee that they're doing that, but I'm sure that's part of it. I, that'd be my, I, if they're not doing that, they stupid. Let's put it that way. So I think that's where Jim really helps because Jim also ident- he just knows Seahawks guys too. Now again, he talks to every team, so he's not just only trying to help the Seahawks. He wants to help the league as a whole, right? Because when guys ball at the Senior Bowl, get picked and play well, that looks good for Jim, right? And it's just you know. I don't know if he's selfish in that way, but that's just, you know, he's American. That's kind of how we all think. So <clears throat> that's where I think Jim helps them. The Seahawks aren't the only team that loves guys from the Senior Bowl. Every team does. Uh, but yes, I do think there's something extra in having Jim, who used to work. I forget how many years Jim worked for them. I think like five. Uh, that's a long time. And John's real loyal to his guys. So I think John Snyder, that is. So yeah, I, th- I think Jim definitely is an advantage to having him run in the Senior Bowl. This one is from Sam. Pete is always going to temper reports of players being frustrated, whether it's Russ, Earl, Sherm, Bennett, you name it. But what does it say when a guy like Richard Sherman is openly stating a willingness to re-sign with the Seahawks? Is that a statement on him building leverage or players want to play for Pete again? You know, so, you know, I never really take Pete's words at face value. I'm super critical of, I dissect all the words and everything. I wouldn't say I never do, but... So uh, I think Pete is correct 
when he talks about the bridge not being as burnt as people think when it comes to disgruntled players on their way out of the Seahawks. If you notice, Pete don't never really say nothing bad about them on the way out. They do the trashing, you know? Earl flipped Pete off. Pete didn't flip him off back. Sherm was like, ah, yeah, Pete didn't lost his touch. He don't know what he's doing. The Seahawks lost their way, whatever. You know, Pete's message is getting stale. I don't think any of that was wrong. Pete probably knew it wasn't wrong. Pete didn't say nothing about him on the way out. Like, same thing with Mike B, other than the comment about reading the books or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I think that might have been just like tongue in cheek or whatever. Point is, that's one of those things I think Pete is, he's not just coach speaking us. That is real. They don't, he doesn't really have beef with these guys when they leave. Even Marshawn, who was a pain in the ass for them to deal with, they love Marshawn. That's why I brought him back. They love him. No one, Pete don't have beef with these guys. So if it's one-sided beef, yeah, all, all the player needs to do is cool down. And Pete's like, cool, my phone's always open. So I do I do think, um, now nah, maybe that might not apply to everybody, but for what I from what I understand, like when guys leave here, they stay, they stay in town, they still come visit Pete, they say what's up. I mean, Marshawn came through on a Wednesday and brought food, <laughs> like unannounced. Like, that's, you know, like I say, he was paying in the ass for him to do it. Just didn't get on a plane for a playoff game. That's bad. Energy. Uh, yeah, that's real bad. But like, they all cool. So I do think Pete's like real. And I think that's part of this is John too. Like they create almost like, it's like almost like an alumni group. I might've mentioned this before. It really is that they show love to their guys, even when they beef on the way out. So yes, that is specific to Pete and the organization. Like he does create a place where even if y'all fall out in a messy way, y'all come back because it really is some genuine love there. That's a credit to Pete. And that's one of those things is like, when you talk about like fire and Pete, it's like you that's not every coach. A co- Eric Bieniemy could be the X's and O's genius. That's a very important part of team building too. Is like that the love that Pete genuinely shows his guys. Do we have any idea? This one's from Adam, by the way. Any idea on what to expect from Posick this year at center? Can we even know much about his ceiling at this point at the position? Yeah, I think that Posick's got a t- potential to just be like a. Just a really solid dude. I think almost like a what's that dude? I think he's on the Niners now. Um, he's old. Alex Mack. I want to say I don't know if Alex Mack ever like did he make Pro Bowls and stuff like that. He's been in the league for a long time. Um, now I'm gonna Google him and find out that he's been like been a seven time Pro Bowler. Yeah, six time. Damn. Okay, so maybe not that good, but I do think just like be be in the league and just be solid for a while so maybe not alex mack bad example sorry i don't know that many centers on the top of my head but it's just tough. yeah but just kind of solid you know he gets like, the job done that's yeah, all you're asking you know like he's not terrible not ever gonna be you know great all pro or whatever but he's just gonna be solid you know like he's if, if you if your team needs a guy someone rolls their ankle whatever he'll, he'll like you said he'll get it done i don't know i mean look what they're paying him and i that ain't that much so i do think that unless they're willing to spend another high draft pick like ethan was what 58th overall unless they're willing to spend another high draft pick on him on an on a replacement center they're probably have to deal with some ethans you know like keep ethan out there i think it's going to be hard to unseat him at this point once you just lock him in at center and he gets familiar with the quarterback and things like that like you have to spend a high draft pick i think to find someone that's noticeably better than ethan which is a good thing yeah it's a good thing I don't think I don't want Ethan falling into this like Trey Flowers, Jermaine Effetti, Jermaine Curse, Pro Size, we hate you type of thing. Cause I think it's trending that way that people are just starting to hate him. No, I think Ethan's like solid. 
you know what? That's fine. If he's the worst lineman on your group, your group is cool. Let's put it that way. That's I think fun. that that's a good way to put that. This one's from Bernie at C Sports Bros. Is this our guy, Josh? I think that is Josh. Let me see the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Josh. What up, Josh? What's up, Josh? Our quarterback. How big of a deal is the Trey Brown pick? Can we throw out the link thresholds now? I think we touched on that. Yeah, yeah don't throw them out. Um, but oh, yeah. don't throw them out. Okay. No, I think because, well, it depends on what DJ Reed does too, though. It just, if they, if they keep playing well, we'll see. I wouldn't throw it out entirely because even Pete reminded us. It was like, we signed 6'3", a killer with us. <laughs> like, Trey Flowers still 6'3". But I think we're trending in the right direction because I do think this is going to start to pan out. Does this mean Trey Brown will be a f- pro bowler? I don't know. But I don't think, like, if he does have shortcomings as a player, it won't be because of his size. And that's important there because that means that he doesn't ha- he's not going to ruin it for the rest of the short guys if he doesn't play well. <laughs> Because it won't be. I don't think it'll be because of his size if he fails. Did Nate Robinson ruin it for boxers? That one. I mean, for basketball players that want to box, yeah, probably. He got his ass knocked out in like thirty seconds. Cost me hundred dollars. Next question. <gasps> this one's from Kong. Think at this point. What's up with our guy, Golden Tate? Uh, he gonna get signed? You already answered about KJ and Sherm, so we'll just go with Tate on this one. Uh, yeah, KJ. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that KJ's coming back, but. He seems like another guy, yeah. Somebody gets hurt, whatever. KJ, Give him a shot. Yeah, KJ, get get that call. Um, Golden Tate, probably the same way. The problem with Golden Tate is that, like, man, there's just a million receivers out there now, man. Like, there's a lot of guys with his skill set. Younger. Faster, younger, probably cheaper. That they can mold a little bit more. Like, Golden Tate's a vet, but there's only, there's only so much shit he's going to do. You know, like... He ain't going to be, hey, Golden, we need you to uh, on kick return. <laughs> the hell you do? <laughs> We're getting these rookies to do that kick return. Start doing that. You know, like I'm talking about a gunner on kick return, not returning the kick. So <laughs> running around making a tackle. Yeah. You know, that's a certain, you just, you just age out of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that's just, just how it gets down. So I think that's, that's what makes Golden tough. Whereas like, there's not too many KJs with that skill set. There's not that many um, Sherms with that skill set and that build too, but there are other Goldens out there in the NFL right now. I'm not going to butcher this name, but I will read the question. Do you know where Pete is on the run-pass balance of the offense going to this year? Hiring Waldron, hiring Tater Smith, paying Lockett, and drafting a wide receiver in the second round with two great ones. Doesn't seem like the actions of a guy who wants to pound the rock. You know, those are, those are all really good observations. And on, on, on its face, I would agree with that. That there are a lot of moves that Pete has made that this would indicate, oh, we're going to throw it. You're forgetting, and whoever asked this, I know you didn't want to botch it, but I think you're forgetting perhaps the most, if I had to rank the moves that Seattle has made this offseason that tell us the most about Pete's offensive philosophy in 2021, I would put Chris Carson being re-signed at the top. Not that it's the most important or the most expensive or whatever. I think if you're trying to like, all right, how, what what's going to tell me how Pete is thinking? The Chris Carson re-signing does it for me. I think he was adamant about getting that deal done perhaps more than any other deal that they've done this offseason. I'm actually very confident saying that based on kind of what I've heard on their offseason thinking. There's not a lot of leaks from the CR stuff, so it's hard. But from what I've gathered... That was like probably Chris's, or probably Pete's like 
top probably even higher than bringing back Posick or bringing back Shaq or even getting Carlos back it probably is a tie between like Carlos and um and Chris and Chris Carson those are probably the two biggest ones but talking about offense I don't think he had an offensive move uh that he wanted more this includes Gabe Jackson whatever than bringing back Chris and I think Pete from what I've said this on the show before I don't think we're Pete's lesson from 2020 was run it more was not run it less that has not changed this offseason I really do not believe that like nothing I nothing I've gathered on Pete's history tells me that nothing I've heard about Pete's thinking this offseason is telling me that everything I've heard is that his his primary lesson was run it more and better and he told us that in January he was again not lying that he legit is about that that doesn't mean run it 50 times but it's definitely his lesson was run it more yeah and i think that's a terrible lesson to have learned from 2020 but that's not necessarily neither here nor there for this particular podcast now pete has told us a number that he likes to have in neutral passing situations he likes to be or neutral uh situations pete likes to run the ball somewhere between 55 and 60 percent of the time in neutral situations so excluding like blowouts and you know two minute situations where everyone's throwing it that's a run first or a run heavy offense like that's where you'll see teams like probably like the browns next year or what the browns were last year i think like that's a run first team pete wants that it's 55 60 percent of the time in neutral situations i just know that like pete said he's on record giving that number and i think he's knowing pete and kind of knowing what i've heard he wants that number again that's the number that's where they were at when they won a Super Bowl and going to Super Bowls. That's where he wants to be. So although whoever asked this, I'm not going to, well, you're right. I'm not going to try to mess that up either. I get your point, but it just doesn't, it doesn't rock with everything else that I've heard. I don't think these moves today are the change that we want them or that. Yeah, I, I'll throw myself in here that we want them to be. I still think Pete Ball is on the way in 2021. This one's from Taylor Fowers. Over, under, didn't give us a number, so I don't even know where to start with this, but how many puns we made about Stone Forsythe's name this season? Oh, maybe we're supposed to create the over, under. Let's do... Um, I don't know. It depends on if he plays, because we've had some names here that could have been just like pun to death, and they weren't because the guy never got on the field enough. You know, Nas Jones, we didn't get a lot of Nas puns, you know, one mic references and all that. Um... Oh, I mean, they had a guy on the Mike. team named Mike Tyson. We didn't get a lot of how many you know, knockouts did he have? And he played, and he played defense too. And we, you know, was, uh, hits and punches and yeah, nah, biting people or whatever. Like we didn't get any of that. Um, who else did we have? Christmas. Yeah, Demarcus Christmas. There's a million holiday puns. We got nothing because he never played. So if Stone plays, we're gonna get a million. Like we are, we're gonna get a million. But a Stonewall. Yeah. Oh man, he's gonna get a nickname. We're gonna call him Stony and everything. And then Larry Stone at the Seattle Times gonna get all jealous. And it's gonna be a thing. Like. <laughs> I think that uh, if he plays, he get a lot. But it really is, like, depending on playing time. Yeah. I just like calling him Stoney. I think that's cool. We don't need to get any further than Stop that. Stop it right there. Yeah. And then also, should we be paying more attention to Corbin Smith's dreams now that he correctly predicted Dwayne Eskridge being drafted? Uh, shout out to Corbin over at Sports Illustrated, or SI Maven, however they're pronouncing it now. Uh, he, uh, he said he had a dream Friday night that they drafted Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, Damn, can I get dreams like that and do it on the pod? Jeez. I don't want to ever be dreaming about the draft. I'm not going to last. That's that's a terrible dream. Oh, um, wow. All right. I don't want to dream about that. But, I mean, hey, I picked it too. So, 
also someone i think i forget her twitter name it's jenny something she tweeted me on thursday and said that they were going to trade back and take Dwayne early in the third. Now, obviously, they, she was wrong about when they were going to take him, but still had the player right. So the short version is, shout out to Corbin for getting it right, but I do think Dwayne was such a an obvious choice that it's not... Like, if, he, if he'd have picked Tra uh, Trey Brown, then yeah, we need to just invade Corbin's head. Either way, though, shout out to Corbin. He does, a, he does good work over there at uh, SI. Michael Scott, has the last few days changed your prediction on how long Russ stays in seattle good question michael um no but i do think that's a good question though um because man you look at what's going on with aaron Rodgers. jesus christ like quarterback movement with these star guys is just it, it is some stuff but no i don't i don't think so because ultimately how they end the season in 2021 will determine everything if they flame out in the wild card round again running, running the football playing pete ball put it this way if they have exits that look like 2019 and 2018 in the playoffs, so that's the Dallas one and the Green Bay loss, if their exits look like that again, we're right back here in 2022 with Russ being pissed. Regardless of who they've signed and how much money Russ makes or how many you know times he goes over to Pete's house for a bonfire, like it does not matter. If the if Russ is watching the Super if, now if Tom Brady makes another one, Russ might really just quit, bro. Like, it's just be bad. So, no, the season, the, the result ultimately matters. If they flame out playing Pete Ball, Russ is just going to be just as pissed. If they flame out with everything on Russ's shoulders, Russ can live with that. If they if they play like the Chiefs or whatever and Russ throws four picks and he's like, you know what? It's, it's, it's not meant to be for me to be carrying the weight. He wants that weight on his shoulders. Right now, he feels like the weight's on Chris Carson's shoulders. And he don't want to lose in the playoffs like that. If he's going to lose, he want to lose with it on him. And right now, that's not the case. So if that's if that happens again, like 2018 or 2019, if they flame out like that again, then we're right back here. Russ pissed again. I got to do another article. Chris Hamilton, he wants to know how much input or influence do you think Russ had on the Seahawks draft selections? Oh, another good question. Zero. But that was a good question. I th uh, no, I don't, think, I don't think Russ had anything i don't think they consulted him at all i don't also don't think they necessarily had to it would have been nice if they did but with three picks i mean i think they as long as they agreed on the needs they were fine they didn't need to consult him on individual players rustin scout these guys you don't know <laughs> this one's from keith is drafting a tackle who's better at pass protection than run blocking an indication that the offense will be more willing to throw the rock moving forward another good question who's that keith you said yes good question keith answer is no but i get where you're coming from but because again what i've i just know pete man i just really think that not even think just pete ball is coming it may look a little different than normal but he just has a formula for winning and i know he's been we, we talked about him being flexible at corner and stuff like that and they i wrote about them you know deviating from their standard a little bit which is good the offensive philosophy though i think 2020 really damaged this guy man like, i think that was like <laughs> i think he was like yo we're gonna run this ball more and now they can still win like that but i don't think that one pick in the sixth round is indicative of a philosophy change although i get why keith is that's that's a good question i'm sure keith's not the only one thinking that last question from you did do you think the seahawks like the rams might thrive with less draft picks kind of forces them to enter the draft with minimal needs and be very 
careful slash focused with their selections. No, and this is probably a bad, a bad way to end the podcast. But I know I, I asked people on Twitter. I said, "Hey, do you would you rather have them trade back, or do you like the three picks?" Um, so everyone basically said, oh, "We like the three picks, quality over quantity." And I get that to an extent, but just taking a few picks does not mean guaranteed quality. I mean, look at their look at their draft picks. You know, in the past, like drafting is hard. If you get 33% like drafting is almost like baseball if you're hitting 300 you're solid so if you're getting 30% of your draft picks to be hits that's good and that doesn't change with three picks in particular where they got these three picks if this was a first round pick a second round pick and a third round pick and you were like Mike three picks is good right quality over quantity I'd be like well, yeah yeah you got three picks in the top 100 and that's all you took sure I'm cool with that. That's pro- you're probably getting legit quality there because it's where they were drafted. If we just get three, like for example, if they took three seventh round picks, well, nobody be like quality over quantity, <laughs> right? No, you would not. So I think it's not just that they got three that means they got quality. You're still probably looking at this is sad, but you're probably looking at thirty percent here too. One player. You're probably looking at one of these dudes being really, really, really solid for multiple years to come realistically that's probably what you're looking at and that'd be the case if they took 10 guys you'd probably get three of them that would be solid dudes the 2017 class is a really good example yeah with yep. that they had what Shaq Malik McDowell Ethan Shaq no, I'm saying the three that was like so the three Shaquille Griffin Chris and David David and Chris and yeah. David and Chris were both seventh round yeah. Chris was 249 and David 226 and they were what they were three picks out of what 11 so like yeah that's a decent hit rate for that class now they could have that really could have done a lot better if they had but i think that's about normal for i mean a great class is like six out of 11 probably hits but like three is like mm, it's not great but that's probably about average i think the percentage is still the same here because of where the picks were spread out so i think that realistically you probably getting one of these dudes to be a stud maybe you get all three Ab- but I, I think that would be abnormal. That would not be like a sign like, hey, let's just only take three picks. No, 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 no. That would be really lucky on their on their part. So I don't think that just taking three guarantees quality over quantity. It's about where the picks are. If they had three, if they had picks one, two, and three in the draft, like, yeah, quality. <laughs> but no, it's just not, it's not how it works. I do, I do like all three picks, but I think people are assuming that just because it's three and just because they feel needs oh, this is quality over quantity. Ah, that's not really how it works, especially one of the picks is in the sixth round. Well, we want to thank you guys all out there for asking Twitter questions. We appreciate the love and support. I know Mike probably caught you guys off guard. You guys were like, what? Twitter questions? We haven't seen this since the end of the regular season. I know. I'm glad we got them, though, man. This is a longer episode than usual, but... Need to get it out there. Yeah. No, and we I'm only glad. have three picks, so we're able to go in depth a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. As opposed to 11 guys, you know, try to touch on them as quickly as possible and get as much information in. But we got three dudes, baby. It's I'm nothing. really... Uh, uh, this will be our last thing. I'm, I really had tried to... I'm trying to analyze the draft picks without saying something that'll get me on, like, freezing cold takes in, like, a year mm. or two. Because, I mean, I tweeted out the Jermaine Fetty draft video because it was five years ago on Thursday. Man, there's some bad takes in that little two-minute clip. David Shaw sounds crazy. Mel Kuyper sounds crazy. Uh, somebody else in there sound crazy. Everybody up there sounded crazy. I don't want to sound crazy. I don't want to just overreact and talk because I like the guys on paper. Judge the process first. And we'll, we'll, we'll see these guys on field, and then we can really judge 
how they are as prospects. Well, I won't ask you for a hot take, Mike. I'll let you live. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> I can't. I can't even. I can't even think of one. Well, we want to thank you guys for tapping into the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Special guest coming up. So guess what? That means we'll be back on video and tap in and get to see the YouTube video. Yes, again. subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. And other than that, Mike, anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. Appreciate the love, you guys. We'll catch you guys soon, man. Special guest coming. All right. Out. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com